Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer and author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Raven Digitalis, and he has written a book called Esoteric Empathy, a Magical and Metaphysical Guide to Emotional sensitivity and i think he has about five other books also on different topics of the occult thank you for coming on today hello thanks for having me here so you have quite a background you have like a degree in anthropology um you are a freemason uh looks like you are in part also involved in the vedic tradition and hermetic traditions as well that's pretty, uh, that's pretty, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So how, how did you get started? How, how did you get involved in all these different traditions and how do you put them together into one working system? Well, you know, I tend to be of the mindset that every religion and every spiritual practice has its own validity and nothing should be discounted unless it's completely absurd, but um, I like to see the similarities between different paths and different uh, perspectives that people might see as divisive or might only focus on one aspect of. So I'm a big fan of blending the East and the West, the mysteries, the magic, the wisdom, of many different cultures and i think that we can do that <clears throat> without culturally appropriating but rather being respectful and um researching and understanding the origins of things and my studies in anthropology helped with that quite a lot because i was able to and it was cultural anthropology which was my emphasis at the university of montana hmm. and so i was able to see so many different uh, practices and beliefs and ways of living. And then also my travels to India a couple of years ago helped with that. And so to see so many similarities in different skins, in different forms, was really cool. And, you know, that's part of why I write about empathy and spirituality. Empathy is the force that binds us all together and helps us all understand not just tolerate i don't like the word tolerate because that has a negative undertone but rather to accept differences and look for the similarities and focus on those similarities so i think when that's applied spiritually it can really be a recipe for success i couldn't agree with you more you know i think when you look at some of these different traditions they're all pointing towards the same thing but from a different angle trying to yep. 
teach the same thing to different cultures, people that are different mindsets, but they're all pointing towards that same thing. What do you think that thing is that they're trying to point us to? Well, I guess in short, I would say it's uh, love. I think love is the most powerful force in the universe and takes so many different forms. And I think the energy of love propels evolution and is intricately connected to empathy. And in my studies of empathy, it was really neat to discover how much empathy ties into uh, evolution of species. So that social bonding helps sustain and develop a species, helps them be, uh, you know, sustainable and, and have growth and protection. So empathy is evolution. And so I would argue that love is evolution as well. So how, how would you define empathy and love? Are they the same thing? Or are they separate? Um, I think they can come together very easily. Um, but you can love somebody or love something without necessarily empathizing with it. And you can empathize with a person, a situation, an energy, an emotion without necessarily loving it. But when the two come together, I think that's that's where it's at. Hmm. So is, is empathy uh, the ability to feel other people's feelings? Well, I think it goes a little deeper than that, but that's, that is where it starts. So... So empathy um, could be described as feeling as something or someone, Feel, like feeling, taking on that emotion, uh, you know, whereas sympathy is like feeling for someone or feeling for an emotion. Mm -hmm. um, so the thing with empathy is that, yeah, people who are empaths or when, when a, anybody has an empathic experience, they're experiencing those emotions, but then it's like, what do you do with that? But, you know, just sit and dwell in those emotions, like whether they're really good or bad or indifferent. So when it comes to empathy, um, one thing that I really loved in my research about empathy and empaths <clears throat> is that empathy requires a compassionate response. And I read that in a book by Carla McLaren, originally a uh, huge empathic researcher and very down-to-earth woman. Um, so if empathy requires a compassionate response, that means that if a person simply feels an emotion of another person or uh, what have you, you know, that 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 is, it's empathizing to a degree, but it's how we respond and what we do with what we absorb, I think, that really matters. Hmm. Is empathy, is that a emotional, psychological response, or is it a psychic ability? <clears throat> well, I tend to think of uh, empathy as emotional psychicism. Um, so psychic abilities, in general, uh, tend to be more based in the mind um, and how, uh, you know, very cognitive what you know precognitive retrocognitive what have you um so psychic abilities are very much very met in the mental plane 
But empathy is purely on the emotional plane, 100% on the emotional plane. So that's why so many empaths or highly empathic people will pick up an emotion, but have a difficult time intellectually understanding why it's there or where it's coming from. Like I have a hell of a time picking up on hints from people or social cues mm. or social boundaries sometimes because, you know, I'm just feeling the energy of a certain person or situation or what have you. And so I'll feel those energies, but those emotional energies, but not quite understand uh, the intellectual sub subtleties. So it takes a lot of practice and um, a lot of stepping back, especially in social situations for highly empathic people to um, balance the cognitive and the emotional. And like I said, empathy is strictly emotional. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, people have different uh, talents, callings, abilities that empathy can be applied toward. So some people might be really into uh, Reiki, hands-on healing, or into uh, gemstones or herbs and plants or into uh, animals and animal rights. Um, and so, or into, you know, healthcare and human rights and things like that. So empathy can be applied to any field um, in different ways. Hmm. Is there... Like a, a true empath, do they have trouble sometimes being like around large groups of people and being overwhelmed by taking in everybody's emotions at one time? Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges for highly empathic people because uh, if we're unprotected, unguarded, <clears throat> all of those emotions can just, we just absorb it like a sponge. And don't know what's coming from where or who. Um, and it can be very discombobulating. So, yeah, you find highly empathic people often avoiding crowds or putting up um, <clears throat> protection. That's what I try to do um, is if I'm going to be in a large crowd, I'll do things for protection. So that can include visualization with shields, uh, personal shielding putting on certain stones or carrying certain herbs, um, maybe doing mantras beforehand to prepare and protect. Um, another thing that <clears throat> can help in social situations is to cover the brow of the head um, or cover the brow and, and or the top of the head like with a hat. Um, and because I'm more of like the gothic persuasion there have been times when i've gone in public with a lace eye mask on so i wouldn't have to make direct eye contact <laughs> with you. Um, but those were like desperate times where i really didn't want to be there or did, really didn't want to be djing this party or going to this social event um, but needed some super protection so for the super empathic listeners out there, <clears throat> I would say that the most important um, stone to wear is black tourmaline. That tends to be the number one stone for empaths 
to keep out an excess of external energy. And so I will always wear black tourmaline in large public situations. But it's one of those stones that shouldn't be worn every day because, you know, you, on the flip side, you know, you don't want to become totally reclusive and be completely stuck in your own energies field. Um, I also have a whole bunch of piercings in my ears and most of these have a hematite in them. So I use that to keep grounded. And so all of my piercings and, and tattoos are sacred um, means of protection and keeping connected to the divine and my higher self. Not that I always am, but it sure helps, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And so uh, a lot of this I discuss in my book, Esoteric Empathy. And I also discuss it uh, to a lesser degree in my book, The Everyday Empath. And so the difference between those two books is that the first one, Esoteric Empathy, is specifically for people who practice magic, witchcraft, occultism, um, things like that. And the more recent one, The Everyday Empath, that's more for people more like for the for, for everybody anyone can learn something from that and it doesn't assume that anybody follows any particular path um it's a for everybody book mm -hmm. and um i'm very happy to announce that my empaths oracle deck will be released in march of 2022 i believe awesome congratulations yeah so excited about that and so that's a deck of 40 cards that are inspirational cards for empaths but they're also realistically inspirational <clears throat> and they're not all positive and white light you know because that's just not life it's a mixture um so they're designed for a person to pull one card every day for example or do a, sh a short reading of three card spread uh, I'm working with an incredible artist in Hamburg, Germany, named Konstantin Bax, and he does hand-painted acrylic, psychedelic uh, style, otherworldly art. And it's just been such an honor to work with him and, and to have a card deck coming out. So that will complete my my Empaths trilogy. Hmm. And between those three projects, I think I've covered everything empathic under the sun that I can muster. <laughs> so, so what are some of the um, differences between a empath who's dealing with the, their abilities on a daily basis versus somebody who's practicing occult practices? Well, <clears throat> I think empathy and spirituality go hand in hand just like empathy and love, like I mentioned earlier. And so because I come from a magical uh, craft, occult kind of background, it was easier for me to um, create a book. The first book, um, which is focused specifically on that and how we can utilize, uh, actively utilize empathy for um, magical purposes and 
you know, magic is simply life, it's reality, it's intention. Um, so we can take the empathic experience and, and work with it. Um, so people that are um, more um, spiritually inclined or magically inclined can get a lot from that book. And like I said, the shorter one, the smaller one, the everyday empath um, does cover a lot of things that are in esoteric empathy, but <clears throat> I don't want to say it's watered down. It's just made more accessible to people who may not have that occulty background mm -hmm. or who may be intimidated by it because, you know, even the word occult sounds really spooky. <laughs> And witchcraft, you know, th these things have been culturally loaded for a long time. So a big part of my being called to write those two different styles of books is so that everyone can get something from a certain vantage point. And if I was to have just written the occulty book about empathy, that would limit the audience and limit... Um, and I'm not talking about for sales, but rather for who gets touched by the material. So I'm just blessed to have loads of people contacting me saying, oh, my gosh, I didn't know people like me existed. I thought I was this total freak. And and now you explained me like right down to the detail. And now I know what's going on. And <clears throat> one thing I mentioned earlier is um, being realistic so that's why as opposed to some books on empathy which are very white light very which isn't a bad thing i just don't think it is covers the complete picture um i like to look into the darker spaces a little bit sometimes and you know my one of my earlier books was called shadow magic mm -hmm. compendium and Gothcraft were uh, other book my work my first book was gothcraft um so you know i'm drawn to the darker spaces not the negative spaces but more like in a shamanic sense <clears throat> so i encourage people to analyze um the light and the dark mm -hmm. when it comes to the empathic experience and so i would say you know esoteric empathy my my big green book is uh explores the shadow more than my my white covered everyday empath book <clears throat> which uh is more uh encouraging and a little less intimidating i would say and then the cards the empath's oracle that's a big sprinkling of everything so um what is the sort of the difference between like a white light I mean, if there's the white light thing and there's, then there's sort of the dark shadow thing, is there a gray area too? Oh, I think it's all a big gray area. Um, so I think those are just uh, easier terms <clears throat> to, to to say. Like if we look at the, at, look at the uh, ancient Taoist yin yang symbol, there's always a light in the darkness and darkness in the light. And I think everything is not just grayscale but a big rainbow, a, pr a prism. Um, so I think that there's no absolute darkness, no absolute light. 
And so we can uh, garner light from the darkness and also a little darkness from the light. How important do you think it is to like embrace both rather than just one? Do you think if a person just embraces like one side of the path that they're kind of denying themselves a full experience of life? Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Um, If a person, like when it comes to empathy, just embraces the lighter, uh, happier aspects, they, and I've seen it, um, can mm-hmm. actually delude themselves and and miss out on um, so many other aspects of the gift. Whereas if somebody sees empathy as a curse, for example, which everyone who's highly empathic has at some point or another seen empathy as a curse because it can be so heavy at times. If someone just focuses purely on that and that heaviness and that shadow, then they're missing out on the gift of it, of the gift of the, the ability, which is so healing. And one thing that I like to empathize, empathize, <laughs> emphasize is that um, we're all empathic to one degree or another. We're all psychic to one degree or another. We're all healers to one degree or another. Uh, so there are no absolutes in life is how I see it. And, and science continues to verify that as well, you know. Hmm. How is magic different for somebody who's more empathetic versus somebody who is not? When it comes to magic, I should first point out that magic that is aimed at infringing on another person's free will is black magic. It's, it's called black magic, or can be termed black magic. Uh, the kind of magic that I am personally most resonant with is um, healing magic, and that includes self-healing magic, uh, which is part of the reason I followed vis- my visions to move to Hawaii a couple years ago from Montana, because the messages kept on coming up, coming up. I would do spells and workings, meditations, please show me my path forward in life. And everything kept leading to Kauai. And so I just did it, made the leap. And so I think because I opened my empathic receptors to those messages and felt them, let them come into me, let those divine spiritual messages come into me and sit with me, I was able to listen to them better, understand them better. Also, if a person is working with their spirit guides, spirit animals, um, ancestors, gods, goddesses, if we open our heart chakra, if we open our energy empathically and surrender, uh, we vibrationally attune to those entities or energies. And when, when I say energies, you know, if, if I sit in meditation and, and I just think about the energy or, yeah, just the energy and vibration of, um, let's say, success in school, and I just think and visualize that success, I can invoke that into myself empathically from the ether, from the great collective 
and that's utilizing empathic magic. Hmm. Whereas <clears throat> to do the same thing and not utilize empathy, then it just becomes stays cognitive. You know what I mean? It just stays in the mind rather than enter the heart. So empathy is all about the heart space. And that's why on my esoteric empathy book, uh, there's an image of uh, the ancient Vedic heart chakra mm -hmm. symbol. And my friends and designers over at Llewellyn Publications are just so kind and working with with me and my visions and, and they're just so talented and incredible and I'm just so happy with that book awesome. and it's covered um, because that's what it's all about and that's why the book is green too uh, because that's the uh, color of the heart chakra according right. to the, the Vedas mm -hmm. and so I think that's that's the key it's in the heart chakra um, or as Baba Ramdas would say, the heart cave. It's in our heart cave. So, mm -hmm. but we also have to protect it. So it's always this fine line where empaths need to be really open at the right times, but also self-guarded at other times. And for some, some highly empathic people do default to alcohol, drugs, gambling, video gaming overeating, undereating, oversleeping, things like that, um, that numb or appear to numb the highly empathic experience. Um, because sometimes it's a bitch. Sometimes it's really hard. And that is a big reason to, for people to take personal space, do personal work, healing. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have the ocean here. Um, in Montana, I would default to the bathtub and see this, this theme about water, you know, empathy and the water element are intricately connected because water is flowing. It's, um, it's always moving. Well, it's not always gentle, but um, it's the uh, element that empathy aligns with the most. Psychic powers in occult traditions are more aligned with the air element and the east mm -hmm. um the mind for example interesting one of the things that you mentioned i'll back up a little bit like um is there a way for like if a person's receiving an empathic type of um feeling how can he know whether it's the empathic type of feeling versus something coming from like a spirit guide or something like that. Yeah, that is something that takes a lot of time and practice and reflection. Um, I have a lot of material in my books that discuss discernment and discretion. It's very easy for someone who has empathy and feels overwhelmed and overloaded to blame it on others it's totally the fault of others oh i absorbed this from god knows where mm -hmm. or god knows instead of looking at the self um so what is coming from the self what's coming from an outside source that's why taking personal space and and being again realistic 
and also humble are extremely good medicines for um, empaths and those experiencing um, high levels of empathy because we don't want to say this is all mine or this is all external because there's that interplay of internal and external and um, everybody has different imprints uh, a lot of the time trauma imprints in different ways so if we get triggered from something there's that interplay of absorbing externally but then having it amplified internally so emotional self-awareness is of utmost importance and at the same time we have to forgive ourselves if we can't discern something right away and taking a break <clears throat> rewinding self-reflecting that can help us discern where something's coming from i think there's a certain feeling you you mentioned spirit guides and mm -hmm. um ancestors ghosts uh i think you know external entities or beings conscious beings uh i think there's a certain uh feeling at least that i get and i know a lot of other empaths do where where you can tell like this is a message or this is a it just has a different feel to it i would say and that's something that can come with practice and time so one of the things that you mentioned also is that you know your focus sort of being healing um as an empath how does being an empath um help you to heal others and also is it important to actually heal yourself before moving on to healing other people yep that's the big thing gotta heal ourselves first but that doesn't mean we have to be completely healed of everything like for example i've got i've got challenges and difficulties in my life like we all do but i still practice healing arts and tarot readings and uh, reiki sessions and spiritual consultations professionally and things like that however uh, i will only engage in those practices if i'm feeling good doesn't mean that i'm totally healed from everything but it means that in that time and space i can empathically work with the other person and now in the time of covid we're seeing so much empathy burnout because of so many unvaccinated unmasked people um, clogging up the healthcare system it's maddening for these poor folks and i also work in in healthcare uh, just in home health care, so I'm not on the front lines. But from my experience and from other empaths in the healthcare fields and healing fields in general that I've talked to, one needs to feel in a, in a balanced state of mind and body and spirit in order to successfully work with another or others. So that empathic healing when working with people, animals, the environment, what or what have you, um, creates a sense of, I've got to do this. Like, this is my spiritual or moral duty, obligation of being in this world. I must help. I'm, I'm here to help and assist. And like you said, we can't neglect the self. And it's very easy to do. 
there have been times when I've had difficult mornings and I've had to call off work in order to do self-care and and you know there's countless different methods of self-care I like to whenever possible get readings from um, fellow empaths or psychics or readers um, or uh, healing sessions or just talking to a friend like or a therapist Mm -hmm. these things can go such a long way so I think in a general sense yeah we definitely must tend to our own needs first and even if we're not perfectly healed on every level we can still offer help when we're balanced right yeah I don't think anybody's ever completely healed anyway (laughs) or else we wouldn't be here (laughs) you heal one thing you get wounded somewhere else (laughs) yeah we were totally healed where would the excitement in life be (laughs) yeah Does, does, does being an empath though give you um I don't know, a, a little bit of an extra um, ability to diagnose people's um, issues because you can feel what they're feeling. So I would imagine that would allow you to maybe detect certain things that other people may not. Right. I think that's where certain uh, professional fields come into play. <clears throat> like empathy is... Uh, utilized more and more and more every day effectively in psychotherapy so when the therapist puts aside their own stuff and and just totally immerses himself in the other person's emotional reality and then takes the step back themselves they can more accurately diagnose those emotional issues um i think it's challenging for empaths to see the source a lot of the time of where the emotions are coming from so like we mentioned and so i think we can emotionally i wouldn't say diagnose but assess a person or be like you know i can sense that this person is stressed or sad or sick but even if they don't know it Mm -hmm. or if they're not accepting it or totally aware of it right and then at the same time we don't want to push others to emotional awareness of certain things unless they're ready for it, unless they ask for it or it's implied. So I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with empathy. So sometimes you have to be careful how much, like, I guess like, and I, this has even been true with me. I I guess with all people too, um, that certain emotions and certain things They'll only come up when I'm ready to handle them. Otherwise, you sort of will stay deep inside. So I guess as an empath, you have to also have that discernment of, you know, what things that person is going to be capable of handling at that time. Yep, that's right. And also to have the humility to realize that we can be wrong sometimes or we might be sensing something from somewhere else or misinterpreting our own stuff as someone else's so it can it's just challenging um and i think that's where mindfulness really comes into play and i was very fortunate to uh study buddhism before hinduism because i'm both a witch and a 
Hindu, American Hindu. Uh, but before that, I was studying Buddhism in college and ended up being a teacher's assistant there, and which was really cool. So in Buddhism, you can come from any approach, whether it's atheistic, agnostic, or within, you know, any kind of cultural preset or religion, Buddhism is totally approachable. And this is where we find the greatest emphasis on mindfulness, which is just another way of saying self-awareness. And it's a, it's a journey. And the more self-aware that we can teach ourselves to be, the better. And that's when we become more responsive than reactive. So for an empath who does not carry much mindfulness, if someone's yelling at them, they might take on that anger, that angry energy and start yelling back and then it'll become this big thing and then everybody will end up crying in the end and be a very difficult, challenging, uh, tumultuous, is that the word, kind of, kind mm-hmm. of event. That's right. So, but if an empath is more grounded, more uh, mindful, and and self-aware, and is working on those things, they can listen to the other person and guard themselves and keep it keep it intellectual, keep it in the mind, even though you know what they're feeling, without totally absorbing those things and respond accordingly. So that's just part of self-protection. And again, that's something that is different for everybody. It takes a different form. And it's a, mindfulness helps us take a little step back and oh, yeah. realize where we are and what's going on. Because for, un, un, for an undeveloped empath, oh, just get swept away by the water, get swept away by everything, <clears throat> listen to everyone's story, acknowledge everybody and everything and just totally forget the self and that's not what empathy is designed for we're not supposed to just be puppeteered by others we're supposed to have our own anchor our own grounding and that comes back to taking personal space having personal interests developing that positive ego the positive self-identity and from there we can stay anchored in ourselves. So if an empath is less developed and doesn't really have any hobbies or individualized kind of things, they can very easily just get caught up in everybody else's visions. And this is where we can see things like cults form because, and I studied cults and cult behavior in college and I see how emotionally and empathically manipulative these groups can be. They're not all bad, or and they're not even necessarily all misguided, but there are a lot of dangerous cults out there, um, many of whom masquerade as religion. So um, that's just a dangerous form of empathy because then you just take on whatever you're told whatever you're experiencing, instead of thinking for the self. So again, that anchor in the self, ooh, so important. I've never thought of it that way. I never, you know, 
associated empathy with sort of like um, uh, sheep-like behavior. Unfortunately, that is very common. Empaths also usually don't want to let down other people or disagree with people or get in fights. And so it's like, it's easier to just go along with what others are thinking or feeling or saying without inserting uh, one's own actual feelings and opinions. I did that for a long time where I would just agree with everything. And I would believe that everybody was just as honest as I was. Um, I didn't, especially in teenagehood and early 20s, like I would believe that nobody would manipulate me, even though empaths attract narcissists and <laughs> manipulators because we're easy targets. Um, but I would just, you know, laboring under the illusion that everything was fine. Nobody, nobody would want to hurt me because I don't want to hurt anybody. Mm-mm. Not how the world works. At the same time, it's all about balance. We don't want to go to the flip side and, and think that everybody's out to get us and everyone's the enemy. That's e equally dangerous. Hmm. What do you think is the most dangerous cult out there? Probably one that I've not studied. <laughs> um, I have a difficult time with Mormonism and Scientology both i have a real big issue with scientology yeah and yeah especially scientology but <clears throat> it's difficult to say because there are hundreds and hundreds of cults out there um many whom we just don't know about and something so fascinating here in Kauai is that last year um Mother God came, and she was the cult leader of Love Has One cult. They don't call themselves a cult, mm -hmm. of course, but they have every literal quality of a cult. So, yeah, they're a cult. But, yeah, they came here, and she, you know, was professing that she's uh, God on Earth. She's the incarnation of all these deities and past figures while at the same time she was you know smoking meth and swearing and abusing her cats and screaming and getting drunk all the time and it was just a mess but all of her believers believed that she was god and they still do she's died since they mummified her body very very creepy so if anybody wants to look up love has one cult online you'll get freaked out and you'll see what I mean. Like how many of the, these members of this cult, for example, because they came to Kauai from mm, California and Colorado, but Kauai kicked them out because they were so extreme. Wow. Um, and then mother, mother God, she passed away shortly thereafter from moving back to, either California or Colorado, but um, watching videos of the members of this cult, they believe with all of their hearts and spirits that they, that this is God, that this is really Christ incarnate and all these different things. 
um, they've been manipulated to believe that and they're reinforced by each other. So if 10 people believe it, hey, maybe there's some substance to it. Oh, hey, now 20 people believe it. Now 100 people believe it. Now 200 people believe it. So it's like this can really spread. And it's so much through empathic manipulation. These aren't bad people necessarily. Well, some of them I'm sure are. Uh, but it's it's just classic example of empathic manipulation. And if if someone will do whatever a cult leader says, that's some dangerous territory. So earlier you mentioned, um, you know, like empaths have to use a lot of discernment. Um, so obviously, like that plays into this whole type of people being sucked into cults. What type of discernment or what type of red flags do empaths have to should uh, try to look for to keep themselves safe? Sure. Well, I think it's very important for empaths and highly empathic people to research narcissism as a disorder, not, you know, not to insult people, but to research what narcissism, narcissism is, to research what gaslighting is and uh, emotional manipulation. So if a highly empathic person knows what they're potentially working against or could be faced with, they'll be much more equipped to understand what's going on and deal with that in the moment. So there are certain you know, character characteristics, personality types, um, behaviors that that are red flags. And and if empaths um, choose to go on YouTube and choose to read uh, psychological articles about the dangers of how humans can treat each other, that provides a person with that wisdom and that discernment can happen much, much more quickly in the real world that way. What are some of the traits of a narcissist for people to look out for? Well, narcissism is all about self-absorption. So a lot of narcissistic tactics include pretending to empathize with another person, but then using it just for one's own advantage. <clears throat> to make a person feel subservient, this narcissistic, um, it's all about the narcissist. It's uh, everything that they do or say is all about them, themselves, their personal progressions, um, how they can get ahead, how they can remain in control. So there are many, many, many small things that that are red flags. So, so because I'm not a uh, psychologist or a psychiatrist, I can't really lay out all of the characteristics because there's a lot of them. Uh, so I would just leave it up to listeners here to do the research personally, YouTube and articles and things like that um, to really see what a narcissist is and and also what narcissistic personality disorder is. Uh, there are also people who are psychopathic or sociopathic, which are two totally different things. So those are important things for empaths to understand. 
um, psychopathy as a literal mental disorder, and then sociology as a per or, or sorry, um, not sociology, um, so sociopathy being sociopathic as a personality disorder. So, <clears throat> the yep, narcissism and sociopathic tendencies and and psychopathic disorder these are three incredibly important things for empaths to research so that they know what they're getting into or what's happening at any given time hmm. one of the things that you also mentioned earlier was about mindfulness um you know when i was younger I used to read, you know, all kinds of occult, hermetic type of books. And um, I would always kind of skip towards the end, you know, like the, the part where I'm going to get the results, you know. And I'd always miss the beginning part. And um, it wasn't until I got into Buddhism and started actually meditating that any of it actual, actually clicked for me. Then I was like, oh, that's the part I missed. Um, have you ever had any similar type of experience with that? Oh, yeah. There's only so much that can happen from reading and researching. It's one of those things. It's one Something is one thing in theory and another thing in practice. Uh, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. Uh, reading about a ritual or a spell or a ceremony or a meditation is one thing, but to actually do it activates those things and that experientialism is just mm -hmm. amazing yeah like for me like like it's almost like um a, a ritual or a spell now it's just almost like a meditation but with an intention yep exactly yeah, that's all it really is yeah exactly um and after my first book came out gothcraft back in 2008 um which i was guided to write on a mushroom vision quest by the way <laughs> um, after that came out MTV News came to my house for a few days and did this big feature of course I was terrified and still terrified of it <laughs> but it turned out relatively well um, and the title of the piece was Spells Are Like Prayers because that's one thing that I also mentioned in the piece I'm like don't be afraid of spells. They're they're just they're just prayers with tools or amplified intentions or working with additional things or entities or beings to create that intention a little bit more uh, pinpointed. That's a good way of looking at it, you know, um, because there really is no difference too between a prayer and a spell. That's right. Totally agree. <clears throat> it's intention. Hmm? Yeah, like you said, it's intention. It's all about intention. Do you think it works better as a group or as individuals? I think it depends on what is what the goal is. So, it's like say people are working weather magic to stop a well tornado from hitting Kauai. <laughs> as I speak from experience, um, <clears throat> or a hurricane, rather. Um, 
that works really well as a group. Um, binding a politician who has orange skin and is cruel and dictator-like, that works really well as a group. Um, but doing spells for personal healing, like finding a lover, a life match, or, um, you know, very personal things like that, mm -hmm. best solitarily. So it just depends on what the goal is, what the intent is. Would you consider a love spell black magic because you're trying to bend somebody to your will? Well, that's the thing. Love magic is so controversial. Um, if, again, it comes down to intention. <laughs> like, yeah, there are hoodoo products that are called come back to me or you will die. <laughs> you know, like, what's well, let's pick up some uh, come back to me or we'll die oil and candles. No, 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 don't do that. Uh, because, yeah, that's black magic for sure. Uh, but if you're simply sending the vibration of love out there and calling for, calling for the right person to come when the time is right and putting that intention out there, that's totally different. That's very much what you could say is white magic or, or very positive magic because it's... Uh, utilizing the vibration of love without manipulating another person. So when it comes to manipulation, yeah, then love magic enters the realm of no goodness. Hmm. Uh, but if it's love as a frequency, love magic can be one of the most powerful things ever. Um, so it just depends on Again, the intention, where the energy goes, but any kind of spell or working or prayer is designed for. So one thing that I really like to emphasize, um, which I do in my book, uh, Planetary Spells and Rituals, is that it's really good to state, you know, regardless of whether you're working with spirit guides, deities, uh, the universe, the higher self, or whatever, um, it's, I think it's very important to state, if this is meant to be, please let it be like this. Please let this happen. Or show me a sign if it's not meant to be. Because that puts the, the caster of the prayer or the spell or whatever into a more humble position where they're like, okay, I'm surrendering to the love frequency. I'm drawing love to me or projecting love outward. And... If it does involve a particular person, like, you know, you, you can go all Mariah Carey on that and be like, I'll set them free, uh, butterfly, they'll come back to me if they're meant to. <laughs> <laughs> but but an another way, too, that I've heard to do it safely is rather than trying to put a love spell on a specific person, uh, it might be wiser to put do something where you want to attract certain qualities so try to attract the qualities of the person that you want rather than a specific individual. Precisely. And we need to be, um, again, realistic with those qualities. We don't want to be like, oh, they have to be over six feet tall. They have to be able to ride a horse backwards. <laughs> because then <laughs> it's <laughs> practical magic reference there. Um, because then it becomes too specific. 
So when it comes to love magic and putting out that frequency of attracting a mate, a life mate, yeah, the more general the qualities, the better. And focusing on the really important things rather than the details. Oh, they have to be Indian. They have to be um, this or that. Um, so it's like, again, with the discernment, what's trivial and what's essential? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, got, I don't know if you've ever gone on like a dating site. Some people certainly take their, uh, right. their profiles to an extreme about what they're looking for. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That's that's life. <laughs> Love is hard. <laughs> Can't, it is. Don't always have. It is, and, and that's one of the things too. Like like you mentioned, you know, about drawing love. I mean, love always. I, I don't. I don't know if you can have love without, you know, a certain amount of. Um, I don't even know what the word. Uh, I mean, I don't want to use the word pain, but sometimes love is comes with a, a certain amount of painfulness or responsibility, things that Most we don't definitely. necessarily want. Most definitely, you know, I we want that, all the good side of it. You know, the affection and the sex and the feeling wanted, but at the same time, we don't want the the rejection or the responsibility or. You know, just the you know sometimes the burden of it. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's one of those things where even even in friendships and um, even in owning pets and things like that, there's always there's always a challenge in that, and there are always life lessons, especially when it comes to human relationships of any kind. There are so many life lessons and karmas that are waiting to be learned and so i think when the challenges come up that's a real big learning opportunity for many empaths who have been in abusive relationships that was the the life lesson there that they were able to cut that cycle short of because that does happen a lot hmm. um for empaths especially because we're such easy targets and can be pushovers and people pleasers and yeah, breaking toxic relationships or friendships, you know, and I say friendships in quotes. Um, those are, you know, that's so such an important life lesson for empaths, a big thing that empathic people are faced with. One of the biggest. And life lessons happen all the time. They're constantly happening. That's the nature of karma. If we look back in Sanskrit, we see that the word karma means action. So we're constantly creating action and receiving results from those actions. Um, what, what you sow, you will reap kind of thing. And that's why I think empaths are in, have an inher inherent sense of ethics, too. An ability to know right from wrong. Not always if they're being treated wrongly. I'll say that. Now, if they're being manipulated, you know, that's very challenging. Hmm. But yeah, life lessons. They're just constantly repeating. They're on a cycle, waiting for us to learn them. 
What do you think the, the meaning of life is? Like, what are we here for anyway? Meaning of life. 42. Mm-hmm. 42. <laughs> 42? It's 42. That's from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> uh, I would say to listen and learn. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> I don't know any more than the average Joe about the meaning of life or mm. purpose of life. But I do think listening, learning, and loving, being loving, those feel like the right answers. Right. Yeah, I think it's like helping each other out. Yeah. And also just trusting in the process, how life unfolds, I think is so important because that's part of listening. It's listening to the world around us and listening to our higher selves and um, that then that trans forms into learning and who knows what what the end goal is Mm. when it comes to consciousness though it's pretty obvious to me as i'm sure it is to you that consciousness continues after the physical body because nothing in the world just stops nothing just stops it's always evolving and recycling in this pattern like just look at the trees out there though Leaves will fall, they'll feed the tree, they'll be reborn in a different way. So nothing really stops. And I, I really like the idea that we are God experiencing itself. Yeah, I do too. That's the, yeah. that's the one I, I usually will either, I like that one, or I like the idea that we're part of a great cosmic dream. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe the dreamer, is dreaming another dreamer who's dreaming another dreamer and it just goes on forever. Yeah, who knows? And funny enough, I was talking to a doctor yesterday um, because I've been having issues with my knee and I have to get this injection. But we just, <laughs> when she put up the um, camera to look at my knee, it looked like the surface of Mars on the on the screen mm-hmm. and i was like "Ooh, look it looks like mars there are the pyramids and, and she's like yeah and there's the face on mars <laughs> so we're joking around um but one thing she then we got to talking about consciousness and things like that so i love that you know there are in the west medical doctors who are very spiritual a lot of the time i think that's becoming more and more prevalent or more and more mystical um so we were talking about the nature of infinity and how our little minds cannot perceive infinity because we just are not capable of it. Mm-hmm. We might get glimpses of it in extreme psychedelic experiences, for example, which can be amazing in the right, correct set and setting with the right people and everything and get glimpses of eternity. But when we come back to our baseline, can't totally perceive it but we can sure keep trying and utilize practices to connect ourselves to infinity to the to the great great beyond and of course there's like you studied hermeticism there's the hermetic axiom as above so below Mm -hmm. as within so without also absolutely do do you you just mentioned you know like like doctors becoming more spiritual 
do you think they're also becoming more open to energy healing and some other type of modalities? Yeah, I think they are. I've noticed that. It's also a fine line because a doctor can't say, oh, you should go to this Reiki therapist. Like they're not allowed to refer like that because of, you know, differences in fields and insurance and money and liability and things like that. So they do have a ceiling. Medical doctors have a ceiling of um, what they can do. Like um, a, a doctor can refer someone to a psychiatrist or a therapist who is very spiritual. So that's a really good opening. Um, and maybe for that client, the sessions with the therapist will evolve into meditations or Reiki or spiritual practice being included in that. Uh, but it comes down to the certifications that a person has and the abilities of medical professionals to refer to others and, and so on. So it's kind of a slippery slope. Whereas, like I mentioned, going to India earlier, um, mm -hmm. I saw, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, much like Chinese traditional medicine, um, incorporate the physical and the metaphysical and the, you know, the astrological um, and all these many modalities together successfully and often combine that with Western medicine also. And so to have that holistic approach is just incredible. And I hope that Western society can get to that point sometime. But we really have developed differently in the West than the East. Um, they're almost like different worlds. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that's why it's so important to learn from all, all cultures, as many as we can, whether Agreed. it's in medicine, <laughs> anything. Yeah, there's so much out there. And, and you know, they all complement each other if, if you just kind of open up to it. Totally. So before we wrap this up, where is the best place for my listeners to find you? Kauai. <laughs> Kauai. <laughs> you don't have a website? <laughs> <laughs> Come knock on my no. <laughs> yeah, you go to uh, ravendigitalis.com. So that's raven like the bird and digitalis like the plant, foxglove. Ravendigitalis.com, one word. And you can find me there or ravendigitalis at gmail.com. And I'm also on Facebook under the same name and Instagram under the same name. Um, so those are good ways to reach me if anybody would like a, a tarot reading or an empathic consultation. Uh, I do have a few copies of my books if anybody would like to buy a signed copy. But when it comes to my books, uh, those can be found all over the web or uh, your local bookstores or local metaphysical stores. Uh, and they can be ordered through anywhere that books are sold, really. And I don't think that they're taking pre-orders yet for the empaths oracle deck but i will be taking pre-orders starting in the 2022 new year so for signed copies but when it's posted on places like amazon and barnes and noble and um, local bookstores then people can pre-order hmm. that 
So yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody. I'm here to help as so many of your listeners are. And I just thank you for this platform and for the awesome shows that you bring. Thank you. The incredible topics that you discuss just all over the map. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's fun. Yeah. I, I love it. It's my passion. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah and you, you, you don't you don't limit the subjects. <laughs> so it's very open. It's all connected. Sure, <laughs> yes, indeed. Gotta look at all of it. Yep. So I will post a link to your website and to your books in the notes of my episode of this episode so my listeners can find you. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, thank thank this, you so much for having me on. It's been really nice. Yeah, this is my pleasure. Definitely. We'll do it again. Can't wait. All right. Well, thank you again. And hang on for one moment. I just have to play the outro. All right. You take care. Blessed you be too. and namaste.